Hello, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. I'm Ryan Beach, and on today's episode, we have another installment of Freeway Philharmonic. This series is dedicated towards speaking with musicians who have built successful freelance careers and finding out how they made it happen. Today's episode features Jennifer Murata. Jen teaches trumpet at USC, the University of Southern California, and is an active freelancer in the LA area. I first met Jen in the summer of 2019 at an alumni event at Northwestern University, and after having a chance to play with her and get to know her a little bit, I thought she would be perfect to interview for this series. We began her interview with me asking, what does your life look like as a freelance trumpet player? My main stable job would be uh, I teach trumpet at USC, and um, I have about... 12 total students that is split up with um, Tom Hooten. We both split the studio there. So um, each week I teach about six of those students and I have a weekly studio class every week that we have them perform that. And so that takes up, um, you know, a, a couple days of my, my day times throughout the week. And, um, and then as a freelancer, each week is pretty varied depending what I'm doing. Um, in the next month, I have a lot of uh, concerts coming up with LA Phil and then, you know, in L.A., it's such a big city. There's a lot of set groups and then a lot of put-together groups that you might play with um, just, you know, as a one-time kind of concert. Um, so I do a lot of just different things. And, you know, some months I'm playing a ton and other months uh, it's, you know, spread out, you know, a week off of performance gigs or two weeks off. And then, you know, then you play something hard. So it's pretty sporadic. Um, and... I do travel a bit to play as well. Um, I'm in the summer times. I'm I, this past summer. I was in for six weeks. I was at the Grand Teton Music Festival in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Um, I play with a, a bunch of people that I've played with for. I think I just finished my thirteenth summer. So um, wow, a lot. Of, yeah, I know. So a lot of uh, really great people and great musicians and. Um, and it's really fun to come together with everyone each summer and just, you know, from all parts of the country and, you know, some people from not in this, this country um, and, you know, see our kids grow up together and play fun music. And it's just a really happy place. Um, every December I go to Chicago to play uh, with the music of the Baroque. They have a brass and choral concert where I play with Barbara and Charlie um, and the other trumpet player, Scott Quackenbush, who's in Omaha. Um, he's principal in the Omaha Symphony, and so that's an annual thing that I do. And um, I have gone back to St. Louis here and there to sub with the orchestra there, and San Francisco Symphony. So it's kind of random, <laughs> you know. I, I definitely consider myself more of an orchestral type freelancer, so you know, I, I tend to gravitate more towards the classical, you know, things like opera. And I've played with the opera and LA Master Chorale, those kind of groups. Um, that are a little bit more orchestral-based. So, yeah, it's pretty random. <laughs> so, like, uh, the hardest thing is, is always being ready for either a last-minute call or, or something you've known up for a long time. So just pretty pretty sporadic. When Jen mentioned that the hardest part of being a freelancer is being ready for anything, I asked what she felt gave her the confidence to be ready for a last-minute call like that. 
I'd say to be ready for that for me, and I, I'm sure it's different for other people, but for me, I feel like I have to be really um, balanced and careful to make sure that my playing is just in a pretty balanced place. You know, I I try and keep pretty good track to make sure that I'm hitting most things that I find to be important, you know, in basic <laughs> gigs, um, and so that I, I don't feel like, well, I don't have anything in the book, so I'm going to take a few days off. You know, I try not to do that. Um, for me personally, I feel much better when I just play really consistently, and so I, I just try and, and make sure that if I don't have anything, I still do that. <laughs> and I think that's probably the hardest thing for me anyways for freelancing is that it, you don't get into a groove. You know, some weeks might be super tiring and tough and taxing, and then you could be playing, you know, second trumpet in the L.A. Chamber Orchestra where you're playing really quiet and low for weeks and just trying to practice when I'm not in those gigs uh, to balance that out. Next, I asked Jen if she had developed any habits or routines that helped make sure that she would be able to fit her trumpet routine into her schedule. Those that know her know that not only is she a busy trumpet player, but she and Tom, her husband Tom Hooten, also have two kids, making time even more difficult to carve out for herself. Sure. Um, You know, oddly enough, I think that ever since I've had children, I've gotten better at being more efficient um, because before um, when, you know, say you have the day off, <laughs> I would find it'd be four o'clock or five o'clock. So what have I been doing? I haven't practiced. <laughs> I haven't gone to the gym. <laughs> but now I feel like ever since I've had kids, and of course it was an adjustment to figure out how to best balance it. But I feel like on the times that I know I have to do it and I have no other chance that day that I'm a lot more efficient in that time, you know, instead of getting distracted by, my phone or my emails or whatever, I know that I have one hour and I have to get in as much as I can uh, in a healthy way. Also not, you know, bash my face because then that's not healthy either. But I do, you know, I have a, and it changes depending again what I have that day, but I'd say in an ideal world, I uh, can drop the kids off at school and I can get in a good hour or two of just basic fundamentals. And I feel like that's my one session I have to do each day is just make sure I'm doing all the basics and getting that in. And then, you know, if I have a concert or rehearsal, then obviously, you know, balance it around that. But then if I don't, then I put the kids to bed and I play again at night. Yeah. <laughs> so I I feel like I just, I put it in my schedule. I, I can't go a whole day without just having to cram it in at 10 at night because then it's just not very healthy. I asked Jen here if she will always use that time that she has that's free to practice or if she just carves that out in order to reserve it for anything that might be important to her in general. Um, Practice, for sure. I always, you know, if I'm not going to USC to teach or playing some rehearsal, um, I will definitely drop them off, come home, and just play. If I don't do it, I will get distracted. I, You know, I'm kind of one of those people that gets a little too obsessed with, like, checklists and emails and getting stuff done. So, um, you know, I also have our time if I see a mess in my room to focus on my practicing. So I just have to say, it's fine, ignore it, and I will deal with it after my hour, hour and a half. (laughs) And um, so, yeah, I definitely come home and that's what I do. And then after that, you know, I try and make my two priorities in that chunk of time, uh, working out at the gym or, you know, going on the treadmill or anything like that, um, and trumpet. Those two things make me feel like a more balanced, happy human being. So I try and make sure I get those in. And then anything else I have to do, I can squeeze in after I'm finished. 
Next, I asked Jen if she has a private studio that she teaches out of her home, and if so, are her students frequent, or is it kind of infrequent based on her schedule? Yeah, I do. I Before I was teaching at USC, I had a much bigger, more regular student base at my house, but again, because of the kids, I tried to limit that, um, you know, being at USC, all those hours, and then also having reliable time to be able to teach people at the house, you know, I either need a babysitter or to schedule it when my husband's home, which is not <laughs> always reliable since he's super busy. And, you know, so I can't, sometimes it's hard to commit to a student every single week. So sure. I'm usually really upfront. I'll tell the students, like, I'm happy to take you on. Um, I can't guarantee that it'll be every single week. You know, if they're, you know, a younger student where I think they need a weekly teacher, then I'll recommend them to someone I know. And yeah, so but I do have some occasional students, you know, people that maybe go to other schools and come, you know, once a month or check in. And I have an adult student who just started a couple of years ago and some, you know, random students like that. But I, I love to teach. And I know as my kids get older and they're a little bit more self-sufficient because they're pretty young still, I'll be able to hopefully add some more of that back in. But you got to pick and choose what you can dedicate your time to. Shifting gears, I wanted to have Jen try to put herself in the shoes of a freelancer that was just starting out, and so I asked her how does she think she would be using her free time to be preparing to make sure she would be ready for the opportunities that were yet to come. Uh, in this question, I referenced Will Baker's uh, Freeway Philharmonic episode in which he said that every freelancer should be treating their time like a nine-to-five job and getting in their writing and their reading and their creating and things like this to uh, ensure that although they may not be playing as much as they want to be playing, that they would still be able to be moving forward as a freelancer and as a musician and as also a creative entity, so to speak. Yeah, I, you know, I think earlier back to, you know, being a little older, I think it's maybe different for me than someone starting out or newer in the freelance world. I mean, when I have students leave USC, um, I definitely approach it in that way too. You know, I think if you don't have children and anyone else to to take care of beside yourself, I think that's um, really important. Spending those hours during the daytime to to you know either practice or um, arrange music or whatever people's interests are that can help them in that field, or um, spend the time to network to get more students or find you know a place where they want to teach. I think that's really important to dedicate that time so that when you're finished for the day, you feel like you've put in everything you can and um, then you can relax. I think that's a really good approach. I think it's pretty common knowledge that in order to build a successful freelancing career as a musician, great playing is basically the most important aspect you can have. So I asked Jen that if we took great playing out of the equation, her great playing in this particular instance, what things does she think that she offers as a person and a player that helped her build the career that she has today? Yeah. Um, well, I think there are some things that no matter where you are, what you're doing um, are sort of musts, like always being on time, uh, at least on time. I mean, my high school band director used to say, 
to be early is to be on time. To be on time is to be late. And I took that on, especially, you know, being in a military band, really learned how to always be really early. So I think that's important um, because if you're late, then, you know, that's just not good. <laughs> They're not going to call you back. Um, and being as prepared as you can, I think that's an easy thing that you can control. If you have the music ahead of time, just really know it. And I think it sounds obvious, but, you know, when there are variables of, you, you know, if you're playing with somebody new or um, you're in a, a place that's hard to hear or anything that happens, at least you know your parts and you have all your mutes and your horns and your pencil and all that kind of stuff. I think being organized, you know, I've I've heard of people double booking themselves, you know, they had two rehearsals that conflicted. Um, I think that's important to be really careful about, just be organized with your calendar and knowing where you're supposed to go and how to get there and all of that. And, you know, I'm trying to think of all the things that you can control. <laughs> sure. And, uh, just respond promptly. You know, I know plenty of people that, you know, are they get an email and they will reply within minutes if they get it to um, whether they can do the job or not. And I think that's important to just be not only able to reply quickly, but also, you know, be able to write a nice, respectful, good grammar type of response, which I think is always professional and good. Um, I'd say in general, uh, ways to get called back for these jobs or to, to be called for other jobs, like you said, being really nice and easy to work with. I think that's always important to not give a vibe of, um, competition or just, you know, you could be doing it better than the person you're sitting next to any of that. I think it's always about being comfortable and making others feel comfortable with you when you're playing with them so that it feels like it's a, a group effort and not a competition. And I think another thing that's really important, and, you know, especially as a freelancer, because you're often playing different roles with different people and to be really conscious of playing the role that you're in respectfully and well. So if you're playing principal, you know, knowing how to lead it in a in a nice way and knowing how to, you know, be confident in your style and consistent with it. But if you're not playing principal, just playing the section part as a section part should a section player should, you know. Right. Really trying to match in the best way and not be trying to lead from those chairs and making sure you're really conscious of, you know, their their mute choices and their horn choices and all that kind of stuff. And just being respectful of the the chair that you're in um, and doing the best that you can in that position. And I I feel like for me, I love playing section. That's my happy place is playing second and (laughs) third and and doing my best to support other people. Um, I'm definitely a support kind of a person. Uh, It makes me feel rewarded when I can help someone else, you know, to sound the best that they have when they have a solo or, you know, to, to feel like I'm helping them and not <laughs> making it harder. Sure, um, yeah. So yeah. I, I, I find it rewarding when I can do that, especially when you're sight reading something in a gig or something like that. Oftentimes, freelancers can get discouraged when they move to a new city and there is no work or not as much work as they want to have. And it can feel that maybe your career is never going to come about. And so I asked Jen what advice she has for staying positive when you may not be getting as much work in a city that you might want to or might feel like you need to justify feeling like this is the right career path for you. Well, the cities I've had to start over in were like basically started in Chicago and then Washington DC when I was in the Marine Band I 
I did some freelancing, you know, as much as I could with the Marine Band schedule, but um, but I did play here and there. And then Indianapolis briefly, um, in Atlanta for sure, and then here in L.A. And I'd say that the common thing with all of them was that it just takes a few years, honestly. You know, and I've heard people say the three-year rule, and it really seems true. You know, you can maybe get gigs here and there, but for you to be consistently getting more work, um, and in L.A. it was definitely longer. But Atlanta was – I had a couple things that luckily timing was perfect that, you know, when I got there, um, there wasn't a second trumpet in the opera. So I played for the principal, and she started hiring me a lot for the opera. And I luckily broke into that thing, but that wasn't, you know, an every single week type of thing. So, it, you know, I definitely would say um, to know that it takes time, no matter how much you do, <laughs> that people just have to know you personality and playing wise. And it takes it takes a while to break into those things. And I would also say that when you go into a new city, it's really important to be respectful of the people that are already there. You don't want to be the guy that comes in or the girl that comes in and um, tries to overset people because people won't like you and then they definitely won't want to keep calling you. So <laughs> I think it's important to ride that line carefully um, to show that you're, you know, starting your freelance life and that you're not looking to take work away from people, but in the chance that they might need somebody that you're available. And, you know, it's, you don't want to be ultra passive, but you don't want to be so aggressive that you take people off right away. So I think that's important too. And I would say also finding ways that will sustain you until you're getting those gigs, you know, whether it's having a full teaching studio or working at Starbucks, whatever it takes, you know, I think just making sure that money isn't super, super stressful. So, you know, be resourceful and find other things that might interest you or <laughs> not make life torturous to make money uh, in the meantime while you're working on those things. I, you know, for me in Atlanta, I, I had a really big studio and I taught so many students. And, and then as I started getting more gigs, I could tone that down a bit. But then I got a university job out there, uh, which also helps. But it, but again, it took, it took some time to get all those things. Another important thing I think is that each city is really different. And, you know, one thing doesn't necessarily work for another city. And what I did in Atlanta did not work for me in LA. Atlanta is a much more um, kind of similarly to Chicago, a little bit more of an orchestral-based city in terms of the way that players play. Um, Atlanta had a lot less players and a good amount of work, but it was mostly pickup orchestras aside from the, you know, the couple basic um, bigger groups in town, but a lot of church jobs because there are a lot of churches in Atlanta that had really amazing organs and would hire orchestras. And so I did a lot of that kind of stuff. But LA, you know, when I got to Atlanta, I, I basically contacted the top couple freelancers and just said, can I play for you? And can I, you know, basically just put my name out there. Um, and that seemed to work pretty well. Uh, when I got to LA, uh, there's a ton of trumpet players here and most of which are not completely orchestrally trained. Like that's not all they do. Here it's such a versatile place. You know, people play crossover and can play lead and can play jazz and can sort of play, a, you know, a recording session with a nice like zippy lead kind of sound. And then the next day play in an orchestra and play, you know, Beethoven. So hmm. um, I, I think it's a very different place and it's a little more cutthroat just because 
there's a lot more people that are looking for work. Sure, yeah. Um, so I found that, you know, in Atlanta, I could be at least talk to people and um, be nice and show up prepared and do my job, and it led to work. Uh, that doesn't work so much in L.A. because people are a little more aggressive with trying to get work. So if you're just nice, it doesn't work, <laughs> which was hard for me because I'm definitely not a good uh, self-promoter, you know, writing people, hey, you need me to play these kind of gigs because you need me. Like, I, <laughs> I'm just not good at that. So uh, I've definitely had to learn to step a little bit outside of my comfort zone to uh, be a little bit more assertive in that sort of way. I mentioned here that I felt like musicians looking to build a freelancing career can oftentimes be hesitant to get a regular nine to five day job. One reason might be because working a day job like that might feel like you're saying to yourself, I'm not cut out for this. I can't make freelancing work. I'm not good enough. Another reason might be, and this is one that I personally have seen, is that working eight hours a day is exhausting. And while most people who work long hours like that will be able to go home and relax, musicians will have to go home and continue working hard on practicing their instruments. This amount of work can be exhausting, and oftentimes the day job can just take over and become the main focus of their life. I asked Jen what advice she has for people who might be struggling financially and need to get some sort of other employment but are hesitant to get a 9-to-5-day job, no matter what the reasoning may be. I think it's important to find things that either you're also passionate about, whether it's teaching um, private lessons or you know, doing music arranging or, you know, being a producer or, you know, I, I have a lot of students at USC that have multiple interests and I, I see them, you know, working hard to balance um, being able to do each, which isn't always easy. But I know, you know, for me, before I got into the Marine Band and I was, you know, not exactly <laughs> that well off yet, and I was freelancing in Chicago and finishing up my master's degree, I remember picking jobs that I could do that either were really early and I'd be done um, at a relatively early hour in the day or things that I could schedule around my own schedule. So the the job choice for me, because I'm uh, a big dog fanatic, I love animals. So I worked at a dog daycare that started at six in the morning and my shift would end around 10 or 11 and I could work in the mornings, get up really early, go do that, be home by 11 at the latest and have my data practice and whatnot. And also I did dog walking and pet sitting. So those were also things that I could um, go for a couple hours, walk some animals or go, you know, check on an animal at someone's house, but not take up, you know, an eight hour shift right in the middle of my day where you're too tired to either get up before or do it after. Right, um, right. So I sort of worked, I worked it around me. I found something else that I, I loved which were animals. And, you know, if I weren't a musician, I'd probably have done something with animals. So I, I just sort of tailored it to me. But I think it's important for people to not also do something that is draining. Because, you know, for me, I remember when I was in Atlanta, I loved my students, but I got to a point where I was teaching 30 of them a week. And I didn't enjoy that anymore. <laughs> I, I enjoyed each individual student. But by the end of the day, I didn't want to practice because I just listened to you know, fifth and sixth graders all day. Um, and the last thing I want to do is now practice. And, you know, I noticed my playing was starting to just not be as good because you're hearing young students all day. And um, so for me, I had to be really careful to balance that and tailor and say, I'm only going to teach three of the days instead of seven. 
And then, you know, even when I was in the Marine Band, I did dog walking because I loved it. I just, I could work that around my schedule and I didn't even really do it for the money at that point since I had a job, but just to enjoy animals and, and stuff. So I think it's you know, important to, each person is going to be different. You know, find something that's not going to wipe you out, something that's going to support what you're trying to do. A lot of people try and find things that are within music, you know, whether it's teaching or um, anything else that, you know, could be related in the music world. But I, I think, you know, a nine to five job is not always ideal. Right. Just because you practice at 7 p.m. if you have the energy for it. And yeah, I guess that'd be my, my short answer. I thought Jen's answer was really interesting. She was able to recognize and find a few streams of income that could support her, but also that wouldn't interfere with her desire to practice the trumpet and build up her freelancing career. I made mention that I thought one awesome side effect of being a freelancer is that it really forces you to flex your creativity muscles to find uncommon solutions to common problems that many freelancers face. Yeah, I was going to go along with that. I was going to say, I, as I've gotten older and, you know, thankfully now I feel grateful and lucky that I can spend time doing other things, which I couldn't early on because you had to say yes to everything when you're starting out. But now I've found other outlets. Like I'm on the board for the International Women's Brass Conference, and at some point they were looking for an editor for the newsletter, and they randomly asked me, and I was like, what? I've never edited anything. I have no idea what I'm doing with that. But but I've always been an avid reader, and I've always enjoyed writing and grammar and you know, I've always been pretty good at the, the grammar part of things and just, you know, making things flow. And um, so I was like, well, I'll give it a shot. You know, there's another editor that can sort of, we can tag team with each other. And and I ended up really loving it. I love that sort of part of being able to start a project, have a finished date and, you know, fine tune it and perfect it and then being done with it. Completely not like trumpet where there's no end, right. <laughs> no arrival. <laughs> You don't just, I've done it, you know, it's just always an improvement. And so, as I said earlier, I'm kind of um, live off of checklists and checking things off and or being organized. And that part has always been the hardest for me with music is that you just, you don't have a checklist. It's just, you know, I mean, maybe a daily checklist, but not a long-term checklist. And, and I like that part. So I do like that I've been able to balance being able to do things like that. And I, I do some small editing stuff on the side, not really for money, but just for friends and stuff like that. And the conference, I do two newsletters a year that I edit. So it's nice to be able to find those avenues that actually are rewarding and to have the time now to be able to do some of that. Before the end of the interview, I wanted to ask Jen something that I personally was really interested in knowing. I'm really glad I asked because it led to a fantastic discussion of priorities and our mission as musicians and what our role is as professionals in encouraging future generations of musicians. The question I began with was, 
How are you trying to establish yourself as your own individual trumpet player, separate from your husband, Tom Hooten? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a, a lot of, I, I could backtrack a lot with that, but, you know, when we, when Tom and I met, we had the same job at the Marine Band, the exact same position, everything. And so <laughs> he sort of had a, a joke at the time that whoever would win the bigger job, the other would go with them after we got married. And so when he won India, I was like, okay, <laughs> you're making this a little harder. Well, let's keep trying. Uh, and then he won Atlanta. I was like, dang it. Okay, fine. <laughs> And then he went to L.A., and I was like, okay. <laughs> no. But the funny thing is in the process, and about when he got Atlanta, I realized that I actually didn't want that, um, which was a nice revelation to me, that I really enjoyed the freedom of taking what I wanted to do and to have the flexibility to not be sort of set on that work schedule of a symphony and to be able to go travel to Chicago and the Tetons and to go do all this kind of stuff, which I really love. So that was a, a really nice revelation at that point. But to answer your question more, um, I think the trickiest thing to navigate has been, you know, from when we moved to Atlanta, we were pretty separate because we were just two separate people. People didn't really know who Tom was at that point. And so people there accepted me as just another trumpet player. The hardest navigation has been when we moved to L.A., when he had sort of really established a career and a name. Uh, when we got to L.A., people in L.A. didn't know me <laughs> as well. And so maybe saw me a little bit as Tom's wife that happens to play trumpet, like you said. Um, and so the hardest thing has been to show people that I'm actually pretty different. I don't want to be a big principal trumpet player in an orchestra. I enjoy being a section player. I enjoy contributing, um, you know, teaching-wise and section-wise. And I guess I just enjoy different things. So, you know, I think the hardest thing has been for people to see me as different sure, <laughs> versus sure. doing the same thing, you know, and... Um, you know, I love doing the stuff that I'm doing, um, and I don't view it as I didn't make it into a symphony. I view it as this is my choice and this is what I want to do because it's my love. That's what I, you know, enjoy doing the most. So, yeah, I guess I guess that's, you know, and I do have other, other things that I want to contribute. And I find that in the in the professional world, and this is why I created that website, was because in the pro world, when people are going through things that are tough and and we all go through it. You know, there's, I don't know of any professional musician, whether they're a freelancer or an orchestra or, you know, jazz musician, whatever they're doing, that hasn't gone through things that have been difficult to navigate through and to figure out the best, you know, way to deal with it. But I feel like when people go through anything, there's not always a sort of open, comfortable place to talk to about those things. You know, when I went through this, I went through an embouchure change and, I felt pretty lonely because you feel like I can't tell anybody because if people know, they're going to think, oh, she's got child problems. Or, you know, if people are having trouble with anything, people tend to be quiet and not talk about it. And then, you know, people might talk about them behind their back, like what's going on with so-and-so. And I, you know, I created that site because I thought it would be helpful just to put it out there where people can feel safe to talk about things in an anonymous way um, without their name attached to it. And honestly, since I've had children, I haven't promoted it as much in the last two years. So I, I have that on my to-do list to uh, to really boost that again. But I do think it's important for people to feel like 
they can have a safe place to talk about, you know, anything that they're going through and to have support with that and to also realize that other people have most likely gone through similar things. And it doesn't mean your career's over. It just means you're working through it. And support is always obviously much easier to go through things with. After hearing what Jen said, I mentioned that one of the reasons I started my podcast was to give myself a platform to talk about the things that I've experienced in my career openly so others could hear and maybe learn from it. The best example would be when I didn't get tenure with the Indianapolis Symphony. I feel like very few musicians are open about their experiences not getting tenure, and so I told her I hoped that by being open about experiences like that, it might help others in some way. Here was how she responded. I think that's amazing. Yeah, enough people don't do that, and we all put on this tough exterior that everybody just made it easily. And, you know, when you go through things, you know, there are things you can say to help someone else if they're going through something similar. So I think that's really great. So full disclosure, my conversation with Jen did go on just a little bit longer, but we decided that it was best if we just cut that content from the episode. It's nothing scandalous or anything like that. That content just didn't seem to quite flow with the rest of what we had already discussed. I did want to try and summarize what we talked about, though. So basically, Jen was saying that she is quite thankful for the opportunities that she has in her career now, and that she really looks forward to not only the gigs that will benefit her financially, but more importantly, she looks forward to the gigs that will benefit her soul. Playing great music and working with great people is something that we all want to have in our career. And hopefully Jen's advice in this episode can help you reach that goal. I think that's going to be all for this episode. I would like to thank Jen for giving of her time and her wisdom to help us all be better musicians and more importantly, better people. And I'd also like to thank her for providing the music for this episode as well. She told me it was a recording that she did with Music of the Baroque, which is in Chicago, as she said. And uh, although it's not a solo recording or anything like that, she is definitely happy to be a part of that group and happy to share how amazing that that group sounds with all the rest of us. If you enjoyed this episode or other episodes on the podcast, uh, if you wouldn't mind heading over to iTunes and leaving a rating and a review, I would really appreciate that. And if you wouldn't mind sharing the podcast on social media so other people that may not know about it can find out that way as well, that would be a huge help. I would like to thank Brandon Yoakum for his work on mastering this episode. And most importantly, I would like to thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time.